I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's focus on Brazil. And I don't mean the brilliant movie Brazil, I mean the place, the location. And I guarantee you, I'm going to get some names wrong, I'm going to get some languages wrong, I think these women are speaking Portuguese later on in the episode. Mm, I hope it's Portuguese, because I don't think it's Spanish, but you'll have to wait and see how badly I get things wrong but I'm going to be talking about two stories from Brazil. But before that, as always, shout-outs. Now, I need to say two special shout-outs. First one to Jaime. Not Jamie, Kurt. Jaime. You know this. You know this because Jaime has said, Hey, man, thanks for the shout-out, but my name is Jaime, not Jamie. And I went, Oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry, Jaime. And then immediately called him Jamie uh, last episode. So, Jaime... Special shout-out to you. Thank you so much. Another special shout-out to Lionel. I know. I saw your message, Lionel. Still going to give you a special shout-out. And now, shout-outs for the rest of the kids. Shout-outs to Aaron, Aaron, Amber, Amy, Angie, Autumn, Brody, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Dan, Daniel, David, Dill. I think it's another David. David, Edgar, Elliot. Elliot, you're going to hear from... You're going to hear about Elliot in a minute. Elliot and his little brother are freaking awesome. Uh, you'll find out why in just a little bit. I'm going to keep going with the shout-outs. Erica, Aaron, Fabian, Harley, Harvey. Harvey is still awesome. I will do another shout-out for Harvey. He did an uh, interview with me. Um, it, it, it was a gr- fantastic interview. Just to, he's, a, he's a brilliant interviewer. i I got to post the full thing again. I posted the wrong one. That was my fault. I'm going to post the full thing. Harvey is fantastic. Harvey Woodlawn. Look him up. He's great. Heidi, J. Mark, Jade. James, nope, see, I almost saw, I almost said it right then. Jaime, Jaime Madrigal, Madrigal, sure. Jason, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Joshua, and that's Joshua Lehman and Joshua Merman. They're, they're cool. Uh, Juliana, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Kyle, Laura, Laura Ruth O. Laura Ruth O gets a special shout out because it is now, I think it is now, the, she is the longest patron I've ever had. I think that's correct. God, I hope that's correct. Um, Laura is awesome. I still owe Laura a couple of special things. I am just really bad at that. Laura, don't worry. They're coming. I promise. I got even more special stuff. It's it's now piling up. I need an Amazon box. So if you get an Amazon box, it looks like it's been opened. It, it's from me. I'll put a Paranormal Almanac sticker on there. I'm just a terrible, terrible person about that stuff, and I apologize. Let's move on. We got Lauren. Lauren's awesome. She messages me every week. Love her chats. It's always just kind of a check-in. I think I think it's a reminder like, hey, Kurt, another episode time. And you know what? I need that, so I like it. Lawrence, Lindsay, I told you about this last week. It blew my mind. Uh, Lindsay Hahn, one of the coolest, nicest people ever. Uh, I don't know if you can still find her wedding on, um, I think it was on YouTube. 
Um, she had an amazingly cool wedding with a special surprise guest, but I don't want to say who just in case you do find it, but you should look for it. M. Caballero, Madison, Maggie. Hey, Maggie. Hope you're doing good. Michaela, Manning, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Megan, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. Jeez, I hate that. Reed, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Shelly, Suzanne, Tat. I lost my voice there. Tosh. Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Trey, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. Thank you to all of you guys. Again, can't make this show without you guys. You are the best. Patrons, right after I get done with this episode, I am doing another episode for you and you guys alone. Not only that, but the $8 and up patrons, so the 8, 10, and 25ers, and if you want to pay more, you can, are going to get another episode Later this week, I'm hoping to record that tomorrow. If I don't, it's coming. I've got an episode just for you guys, and it's a long episode. The one for uh, the patrons is a very cool episode. I'm very excited about it. It's not the longest episode ever, but it is very cool. And it is about, I'll give you a hint, it's about Nessie and black magic. Trust me, it's going to be cool. I was very excited to do this story. Okay, with that, let's get on over to Paranormal News. Seriously, how cool was that bumper music? And if you couldn't guess, that was from Elliot Van Wick, the guy I said a minute ago, that the patron I said a minute ago, I've got a special shout out for him. Thank you so much to Elliot and apparently and his little brother. So thank you both so much. That is cool. I liked everything about that. Um, again, if you guys have bumper music, you want me to play it, I will give you a special shout out. I will give you a special something. I'll mail you out something. I promise it'll take forever, but I will mail you out something. Um, Send it over to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I'm loving them all. I think I'm going to do a raffle for who's going to be, uh, or put everybody's names in a hat or whatever, for the 100th episode. But um, I will say, I've got one. It is fantastic. And it might just be, I'm sorry, but that's going to be the 100th. It's seriously cool. I can't wait for you guys to hear that. And the 100th episode is coming up very soon. But first, let's continue on with paranormal news. So the Storm Area 51 Facebook event page, whatever you want to call it, has been taken down, quote, for everyone's safety. So it doesn't look like I'm going to be doing a live paranormal almanac where I live stream thousands of idiots getting slaughtered by the military. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. Sadly, I guess sadly, it looks like that event is no more. Now, I'm sure there's still going to be some people that show up thinking, hey, I can still show up and I'm going to be one of the only people and I'm definitely going to get in. I think that's a bad idea. But again, you know, I'm not your dad. I'm not going to stop you. 
Okay, next up in paranormal news, Master Replicas. Now, Master Replicas are incredibly cool. If you guys don't know what they are, they make... Oh, apparently they've got something very cool on their website. Let's see what happens. Well, I can talk about it with that in the background. It makes it even cooler. So they make a lot of statues. They make a lot of cool replica stuff. But the reason I'm talking about Master Replicas on this podcast is because they have something very special. Oh, but when I clicked on it, the music went away. That was a bummer. It is the Bigfoot Track Casting. So this track, this casting is not their own, you know, thing that they made up. It's not a replica that they just did. No, this is molded. Oh, come on with pop-ups. I'm trying to sell your product here. They are molded in their own mixture of gypsum cement, smooth-on resin, and mineral fillers. This is the actual casting of the infamous Bigfoot track related to the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot video. It's not a sculpture. It is a replica. And they're they're formulated to be exactly durable. No, they're formulated to be extremely durable and impact-resistant. These are not fragile plaster castings. Now, they include trapped earth and mud and crap on there they look fantastic that is the cleanest looking cast and i really thought it was just another casting um or a fake one that they just kind of made to look like it no this is a perfect casting made with basically cement it seems like uh measures 14 by 6 14 inches by 6 inches weighs two pounds cost 50 dollars which i think is incredibly reasonable I definitely want one of these for my own. And they got a lot of other cool stuff. They've got like a, you know, an alien skull, a vampire killing kit, uh, Yeti track casting, which is just a made up looking thing. But it's again, it's very cool for 85 bucks. They have a unicorn horn. They got a ton of stuff is what I'm trying to say. But what caught my eye was this Bigfoot track casting from the Patterson Gimlet time from 1967. I think it is awesome. And up next in paranormal news, This vodka was made using contaminated grain, contaminated grain from Chernobyl. I wanted to say that twice because I can't believe it's called Atomic with a K. Atomic vodka. It's the first consumer product to be made from ingredients from Chernobyl, from the reactor's exclusion zone. There's a small experimental farm located in the abandoned heartland of Chernobyl's radioactive exclusion zone, where for years scientists have been growing crops rye grain to be precise the team of researchers led by university of portsmouth uh professor jim smith wants to prove that consumable goods can be made using contaminated ingredients they've just unveiled their first creation atomic vodka and it's bottled by the newly created chernobyl spirit company our idea was to use the grains to make a spirit it's the only bottle in existence i tremble when i pick it up now this is when he was doing the interview they're going to be selling it This vodka is distilled from deep within the Chernobyl exclusion zone, and it sounds like something that you should never drink. But they say that any chemist will tell you when you distill something, impurities stay in the waste product. So we took rye that was slightly contaminated in water from the Chernobyl aquifer, 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 and we distilled it. We asked our friends at Southampton University of an amazing radio analytical laboratory to see if they could find any radioactivity And they couldn't find anything. Everything was below their limits of detection. So, if you want a bottle, 
They're producing as many as 500 this year, possibly selling them to the growing number of tourists who visit the exclusion zone. The problem for most people who live here is that they don't have the proper diet, good health services, jobs, or investments. Now, after 30 years, I think it's most important thing in that area is economic development, not the radioactivity. I think it sounds cool. I think I'd try it. it still scares me. I'm not going to lie. The, the thought of drinking vodka that was done from the grain and the water in Chernobyl. Yeah, that's a little terrifying, a little sketchy. But I think I'd try it. I really do. I don't know if you guys can hear them. I don't know if they can be picked up on the uh, the microphone, but these there's some wild parrots that go through Burbank. They go from Pasadena to Burbank. They're green parrots. Apparently, they were released by Bush Gardens back in the day. They are loud tonight. So if you do hear some weird squawking in the background, it's nothing paranormal. I'm not stepping on stitch, nothing like that. It is the wild parrots of Burbank. They're very cool. Okay, up next comes from LiveScience.com. No ET life yet? Here's why that's important. Now, it barely got a mention in the media. Well, you guys heard all too much about it, but in the regular media. But in June, the U.S. Navy briefed members of Congress on UFOs. The fact that we live in a culture where there's only a minor news story, this, this reporter says, gives me pause. And I completely agree. It should be one of the most significant things that ever happened in human history. Now, they did say that the briefing around then was classified, so we don't actually know what Congress was told about the UFOs. But according to a 2015 survey, 56% of Americans already believe in UFOs, regardless of what Navy pilots may or may not have seen. Now, for many people, UFO is synonymous with aliens, but it's worth reminding ourselves that it literally stands for blah, blah, blah. You know all of this. I'm going to jump quite ahead. Two minutes later. Bum, bum, bum. The reason I was bringing this up is to say that even LiveScience.com is talking about this UFO phenomena that's happening with the Navy. So they go on to talk about some of the big cases that you guys know all too well about UFOs. But here's the end. This is what I wanted to get to. For the, for the time being, as far as we know, we're the only sentient life capable of trying to understand the universe. If we screw up, it doesn't look like anyone's going to come and save us. I kind of hope that ET life is out there millions of years more advanced and just waiting for us to grow up before it stops by for a visit. And I hope that that headline actually makes the front page news above the fold. I agree completely. Again, the reason I really, really, really wanted to bring this up was because LiveScience.com is even talking about UFOs now. It's getting out there. It's getting out there more and more, and that is exactly what I want. That is exactly what I'm hoping for. That if it continues to get out there, more people will talk about it. Maybe we'll get disclosure. And finally, in paranormal news, this is something that you guys are going to have to go to Facebook.com if you want to watch it. It's from the Wall Street Journal. My baby monitor is haunted. Tales of parental fright. Parents catch ghostly images near their babies, and they said, I could not go to sleep that night. Natalie Wallace was lying in bed one night more than a month ago when she glanced at her cocoon cam baby monitor. She noticed splotches of pink and purple all around the baby's bassinet. The colors are supposed to indicate motion, but her baby was in deep sleep. A few days later, Ms. Wallace, who helps run, who helps run a leadership development company in Los Angeles, came home to find her husband at the kitchen table looking distraught. He showed her a screenshot he'd taken of a human-like figure on the baby monitor floating above the ground near the baby who was napping upstairs. Shortly after that, they saw what the whole family saw, saw what looked like a whole family of ghostly shapes 
looming over the bassinet. Now they have the pink thing in the top part of the article. It's very interesting looking. It does look like a human shape. It is see-through. It's pink and purple. It is see-through. And the other one, though, the family of them, that's the intriguing one. It says movement, movement detected. And it does look like an entire family is leaning over, looking at the baby. Now, could this be something burned into it? I don't know enough about this camera, but it is very scary. Now, they go on to say that every new technology brings its own set of ghosts in the machine. The latest high-tech baby monitors have been known to cause anxiety instead of relieving it, especially when they trigger false alarms that send parents into a panic. Now parents are worried about picking up ghosts. So they reached out to Cocoon Cam to find out what the glitch on Miss Wallace's camera could be, and after reviewing the screenshots, Gary McMath, the company's marketing chief, said it appears the monitor was placed on a dresser, not mounted on the wall above the bassinet as intended. When the camera is properly installed, the computer vision would focus on the baby's motions, waking, sleeping, even breathing, he said in an email. He added that the system tries to find a movement area to focus on, and that the ghosts could be various points of movement, such as lights, shadows, or blowing curtains. And he says, I hope this clarifies the matter. Not at all. Not in my opinion. For one thing, there are no curtains in the room. They're blinds. Besides, small movements generally appear as little blobs, not looking like a family or a person looking over the bassinet. So... They asked Mr. McMath if Cocoon Cam could share with me any reference images that he could serve as an explanation, and he said he couldn't. However, he added, we've gotten a few calls or emails asking about similar phenomena. It definitely looks like we have some sort of ghostly activity here, says a paranormal investigator who saw it as well. I'm not really going to read too much into that because I don't know anything about this paranormal investigator. I'm sure he's a nice person, but I don't know him enough to say I'm going to quote him. Then... Adrian Wright, a Brooklyn, New York mom who owns a PR agency, was relaxing with her husband one evening last month when their Nest Cam, alert, Nest Cam app alerted them to motion in their toddler's room. We rolled our eyes like, please don't be awake. I looked at the camera, and I noticed the closet door was open. She asked her, she asked her husband if he opened it, and he said he didn't think so. So she replayed the footage and saw that the closet door slowly opens all the way. I went to her room. Looked at her and she was fine. I sat in there watching for an hour. I could not go to sleep that night. So they have a video clip of the closet door. Now I will say it's not latched when it starts to move. Wait, I want to watch this again. There's something I think I saw. It's not latched. Haha. What is that? All right. This is very interesting. I want you guys to watch it. And when you watch it on, um, I guess I put the link on Facebook. Towards the bottom, looks like something falls off a shelf in the closet, maybe a stuffed animal or something, and opens the closet door. So I'm not convinced that this one is a ghost. Being, being honest, looking at this, the door was not closed. It was not shut all the way. It does look like something is fallen at the very bottom of the screen, pushing against the door, slowly opening it. Now, if I was home alone, I had a baby. The baby monitor shows me this. Would I freak out? Oh, God, yeah. But... After I take a minute and calm down and look at it, I really don't think that that one is a ghost. Now, she says that in the, um, she does say in the footage, Miss Wright shared with me, a thin baby blanket tumbles out of the closet as it opens. Because this really push open the door? And they say the challenge when it comes to analyzing these things is you can only work with what you have. I want to say that there's probably more, uh, that there's probably a more likely explanation before jumping to the conclusion that it was something paranormal. 
Oh, crap. I just quoted that guy. I didn't want to quote. Um, a few nights ago, Mrs. Wright was watching TV when she heard her daughter's door slam shut. She went to check on her and found the door ajar and her daughter in a deep sleep. When she checked the nest cam and saw what appeared to be a white object fly across the room around the time she heard the door slam. That one would lead me to be way more, lead me to be more inclined to say that, yeah, it's something paranormal. I would love to see that footage. But regardless, the ghost at the top, I don't know what they are, but they're not air blowing or movements or anything like that. It does look very paranormal. So again, I'll put that up on the, uh, on the Facebook page, Paranormal Almanac. Take a look at it. Tell me what you think. Tell me if you think those are ghosts. Is it a whole family of ghosts? And if it is a family of ghosts, that's really cool. I want to know more about it. Okay, with that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back and actually get into the story for tonight's episode. Okay, we're back. Now, this episode, like I said earlier, is focused on two incidents in Brazil. Now, they're equally strange and seem to heave, seem to heave, seem to have either a lot of eyewitnesses or, in the first case, some evidence that's still being examined and disputed over to this day. So let's get on with this first one. Now, the first one takes place on September 13th, 1957. So it's very early on in the UFO lexicon. It's very early on. The days of UFOs, it's been about a decade since UFOs have really been talked about. Now, you got to remember, this takes place in Brazil. Now, September 13th, 1957, a journalist named Ibrahim Suid received an envelope containing a letter. And before I continue on, here's a translation of that very letter. It took me a while to find a real translation of this letter. So I want to read it to you. It says, Dear Mr. Ibrahim Suid, Suid? I don't know. As a faithful reader of your column and as an admirer of yours, I wish to give you, as a newspaper man, a, quote, scoop concerning flying discs. If you believe that they're real, of course. I didn't believe anything said or published about them. But just a few days ago, I was forced to change my mind. I was fishing together with various friends at a place close to the town of Ubatuba, Sao Paulo. Sure, I got Ubatuba wrong, but it looks like it says Ubatuba. Anyhow, it goes on to say, when I sighted a flying disc, it approached the beach at unbelievable speeds and an accident, i.e. a crash into the sea, seemed imminent. At the last moment, however, when it seemed like it was almost striking the waters, it made a sharp turn upward and climbed rapidly on a fantastic impulse. Astonished, we followed the spectacle with our eyes when we saw the disc explode in flames. It disintegrated into thousands of fiery fragments, which fell sparkling with magnificent brightness. They looked like fireworks despite the time of the accident, which was at noon, i.e. at midday. Most of the fragments almost fell, almost all fell into the sea. But a number of small pieces fell close to the beach and we picked up a large amount of this material, which was light as paper. I'm enclosing a sample of it. I don't know anyone that could be trusted to whom I could send it for analysis. I never read about a flying disc being found or about fragments or parts of a disc that had been picked up. Unless the finding was made by military authorities and the whole thing kept as a top secret subject, I am certain the matter will be great interest to the brilliant columnist and I'm sending two copies of this letter to the newspaper and to your home address. From the admirer, here's the problem. The signature was completely illegible. 
Okay, together with the above letter, Ibrahim received three fragments of a strange metal. Now, okay, there are many experts that doubt some part of this story. So let me pause right here and tell you about those doubts before I continue on. Many experts say that the writer was definitely not, quote, a local fisherman. First off, it was written in very well-spoken Portuguese. The expert infers that this is an educated man who is familiar with Ibrahim's column and was a regular reader of it. Now, the paper that Ibrahim worked for was a more, quote, upper-class newspaper, not one that was read by local fishermen. Let me say, personally, I think that's a stretch. There are very well-educated fishermen in the world, so I am not convinced yet. But this next argument is definitely better. The experts also say that the letter was sent to Ibrahim's home address. Now, it was sent to both the newspaper and the home address. So, depending where you get your story from, some people say he received it at home. Other people say he got the copy from the newspaper first. But it was sent to both to the newspaper and to your home address. So it would have to be someone familiar with Ibrahim or who ran in the same circles since it was very difficult in 1957 to just get someone's address. Now that's a very American thing to say. Who's to say that Ubatuba seems like a small town, especially in 1957, that everybody knew where everybody lived? It's very possible. Now the theory is, that they continue, or the theory that they keep saying is that, that it was someone that ran in the same circles as Ibrahim and happened to be out fishing and did witness the explosion and got the fragments. But since this was the 50s, they didn't want to be called out as a quack or a weirdo or as a nut job, whatever you want to call it. So they, quote, anonymously mailed this to Ibrahim, knowing he would investigate it and also that he had friends interested in UFOs to a certain degree, especially for 1957. So that's the theory that they're saying, I don't know if I really buy it. Regardless of where this letter came from, the letter is real. You can see it. It's hard to find, but you can see it. This translation from Portuguese to English is spot on, apparently. I can't read Portuguese, but apparently this is spot on. And it does seem very spot on. Now, I'm going to come back to this at the end. Hopefully I'll remember it. But I want to bring up the fact that... It seems like an entire UFO crashed at sea in Brazil in 1957, and yet it hasn't been scoured over like Roswell. I couldn't find anything about people trawling the ocean, the military trawling the ocean, looking for the rest of this UFO. That's very interesting. I want to come back to that. If they haven't, send down Paranormal Almanac. Let's film an episode of someone trawling the ocean, looking for more pieces of this same UFO. Okay, with that being said, when I left off, Ibrahim has a friend who is very interested in UFOs, and that friend was Dr. Olavo Fontes. Now, Dr. Olavo Fontes was an MD. He was a chief of the gastroenterology section of the National School of Medicine in Rio de Janeiro. He was supposedly also an investigator of UFO reports. Now, since it was a newer phenomenon at the time, having anyone interested in UFOs was really rare. So, of course, Ibrahim called him up. Fontes, finally having something to do with UFOs, said, definitely. Came over right away, read the letter, and examined the metal fragments. 
Now, this next part is directly from his testimony of that meeting, that when he saw the letter, when Ibrahim called him, he showed up, he saw the letter, he saw the metal fragments. This is his testimony of that meeting that he gave in a report sent to the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization in Tucson, Arizona on November 30th, 1957. Just a refresher, the letter came on September 13th, 1957. So it's just like two months after, September, October, November, two months after the meeting. So it's still very fresh in his mind. And this is that direct testimony. I saw the samples sent by the unidentified correspondent. Three small pieces of a dull gray solid substance that appeared to be a metal of some sort. Their surfaces were not smooth and polished, but quite irregular and apparently strongly oxidized from the explosion. The surface of one of the samples was shot through with almost microscopic cracks. The surface of all samples were covered in scattered areas with a whitish material. These whitish smears of a powdered substance, whitish smears of a powdered substance appeared as a thin layer. The fine dry powder was adherent, but could also be displaced easily with your nail. Mr. Seward said the material appeared to be lead at first, because of the gray color, but I could see that it could not be lead. The material was light, almost as light as paper. So that's what he said on November 30th, 1957, about first seeing those samples. Now samples two and three were photographed by Fontes. Their lengths were about a quarter of an inch long and three quarters of an inch long. Sample one was apparently never, never photographed, apparently because there's a lot of dispute about which is which sample. But from what I could figure out and what I think, sample one I don't think was photographed. I could be wrong about that. I'm putting that out there. Now, Fontes first took the specimens to the Mineral Production Laboratory in Rio de Janeiro. That's a division of the National Department of Mineral Production and the Agricultural Ministry of Brazil. So, we're going to get technical for just a little bit. Now, these samples were then delivered to Dr. Feigl, uh, Fiegel, the chief chemist. Feigl's assistant, Dr. David Goldsheim, made a preliminary examination of a chip of sample one and determined that it was metal. Sample one was then divided into several pieces. Two were left with the laboratory. Sorry, I had to take a drink. Two were left with the laboratory, and Fontes retained the rest, together with samples two and three. Goldsheim sent one piece of sample one to the spectrocraft spectrographic section of the Mineral Production Laboratory, where it was investigated by Dr. Luisa Maria A. Barbosa, a chemical technologist using a Hilger or Heigl, Heiger, Hilger, I think it's Hilger, mass spectrograph, model DMA-1-412, which is a high-quality instrument. In her report, dated September 24, 1957, Barbosa states, quote, the spectrographic analysis showed the presence of magnesium of a high degree of purity and an absence of any other metallic elements. Okay, let's pause right there. The reason I added all of that, that is details. If you find something that is UFO or alien or whatever, and you say, this is paranormal, this is something in the government, blah, 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 and I had it tested and they said, yep, sure was that or they said we're keeping this because it's bad bullshit this this is specifics how big the samples were 
where the samples were sent, who was there when they received the samples, who worked on the samples, what did they do to the samples, what instruments did they use with those samples. This is data. This is specific data. Now, if you talk about something like that Stardust Ranch or whatever the hell it was called, and I said, oh, did you get it tested? Yep, I sure did. I took it off, sent it to them, and they said, yep, it's alien blood. Really? What what did they what were the results? Oh, just that. It was alien blood. Now, F you, bullshit. Calling bullshit on that one. This is specific examples of scientific data taken on samples. Like, come on, guys. This is how you do it. This is why I believe this story wholeheartedly. Okay, so where did I leave off? The results from the lab were that these samples were chemically pure magnesium. Now, skeptics will point out it, it is able to be found on Earth. Yes, you can have chemically pure magnesium. You can make it chemically pure. That's true. But it's extremely rare, and even rarer, to find it in the form that Ibrahim received in the mail. The way the structure, the lines, the lattice, the microfractures in it, are all incredibly, extremely rare. On November 4th, 1957, Fontes then gave one of the remaining pieces of Sample 1 to Major Roberto Camina of the Brazilian Army. In my opinion, that was a mistake. So he had the specimen analyzed at the Military Institute of Technology. Then, a few months later, Fontes gives another sample, another piece of sample one to Commander J.G. Brandau of the Brazilian Navy. Neither piece was returned. Not surprisingly, no results were ever given back to Fontes from the military. Now, Fontes gets really frustrated by this, so he attempted to figure out who sent Ibrahim the letter. He said, fine. I had, I had this lab test it, and they sent another piece to this lab, and they tested it. Incredible. I want to do my due diligence. I want to send it to the military. Military fucked me over. Big surprise. Okay, let's figure out who sent the Ibrahim the letter. Who sent that letter to Ibrahim? So he goes to the location mentioned in the letter. Dr. Fontes and his friends start asking questions at the beach area in the neighborhood of Ubatuba, which I got to say... I hope that's how it's pronounced, because that is really fun to say Ubatuba. It's almost like, if well, I was going to say, it's almost like what Garrett says in Community, on a specific episode of Community. Doesn't matter. Sorry, I went off on a tangent in my own brain just then. Okay, so they go into the beach area in the neighborhood of Ubatuba. Not surprisingly, since it's a small community, they eventually locate a fisherman who remembered a group of vacationers from an island town who told the locals about a UFO and showed them the very pieces that Ibrahim received. But, since they weren't locals themselves, the fishermen didn't know their names. That's all they knew about it. Okay, and that brings us to the first grain of salt time. But I do totally believe it. Around this same time, as Fontes was handling pieces, of, handling pieces to the military and asking around, he was visited by two members of a Brazilian intelligence agency who made not so veiled threats of what might happen to him if he continued his inquiry into the matters that, quote, did not concern him. And they even asked him to turn over everything to them. Now, Fontes denied. He said, nope, not happening. 
and apparently nothing happened to him because he's the one who told this story that I'm telling you now. Most of this comes directly from Fontes. Sometime after that, it gets a little muddled there. The specimens, one of the specimens was sent to the Colorado Project, which is the only unclassified UFO research project funded by a United States government agency and again was concluded to be highly pure magnesium free from most contaminants found in magnesium here on Earth. They could find the scarring. They could find the charring. They could find every other ring that they, they could find on this magnesium from the explosion. They said, yep, there was an explosion. Yep, this piece hit the ground, hit the beach. They could even say it hit where it hit because it had salt water and it had sand, it's silica that was kind of fused with the magnesium. But you get rid of that and it was incredibly highly pure magnesium free of most contaminants found on magnesium here on Earth. So this stuff is insanely pure. Back to what I was saying a little while ago. That's the end of the story, by the way. That's it. Now, the samples are still out there. They're still being tested periodically. They still come back as this really pure magnesium, but nobody knows where they came from. Did Ibrahim just happen to get incredibly pure samples of magnesium in these weird kind of structures? So paper thin, so light? It's a big stretch, and I don't buy it. I buy everything about this story up to... Maybe some of the stuff that Fontes said that just seemed kind of a little bit paranoid. I can believe it happened, but there's no real corroboration that it happened. So, you know, again, grain of salt time. But everything about this story has real people. Ibrahim, 100% real. Fontes, real. The people, most of the people, I couldn't find all of them. I'll say half the people listed that these samples got sent to, real. The places they got sent to. The Division of the National Department of Mineral Production and the Agriculture Ministry of Brazil. Real. There is so many real parts of this story that, yep, I 100% buy it. Now again, why isn't anyone out there, why isn't everybody out there looking for pieces of this UFO? Sure, it was 1957, but they found more pieces from older wreckage all along the east coast of America. Like, they can find these samples. If there's this big chunk of magnesium from a UFO somewhere in the ocean just off this island of Ubatuba, why aren't we out there looking for it? I don't I don't get it. I don't have an answer to that. If you guys are waiting for me to say, because of this, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. But, fantastic story. It does not get enough press as far as I'm concerned. Now, this next one... Like any UFO crash, that's right, this next one has a UFO crash as well. Like any good UFO crash, it's instantly known as the Roswell of that area. So this one is the one that is called the Roswell of Brazil. I don't know why the other one, Ubatuba's not, but this one is the Roswell of Brazil. Now this one started on January 19th, 1996. So fairly new, way newer than the last one. In Vargina, Brazil. It's Vargina. I looked it up, figured out how to pronounce it. It's Vargina. Now, from what I can find, the first known sighting of the UFO was by Oralina and Eurico de Freitas, Freitas de Freitas, who were the owners of a farm on the outskirts of the town. 
they said they saw a UFO hovering over their cattle. Now, this wasn't just a quick sighting either. It wasn't a split second, it was gone. Or Alina, who first noticed something was wrong because her cattle started acting agitated, when she went out to actually investigate them, she saw a huge hovering, here's the problem, depending where you get your info. She either saw a huge hovering cigar-shaped UFO or a huge hovering saucer-shaped UFO. I can't figure out which one is real. It sucks. I hate that I don't have that, that answer. But she saw this huge UFO, nonetheless, huge UFO directly over the cattle. Now, that UFO stayed there for 40 minutes, just hovering silently, then took off. Then a nearby auto mechanic said that he saw a saucer-shaped UFO. That's why it leads me to believe it's a saucer shape. He saw a saucer-shaped UFO the same night in a different part of town. Now, this was not the end of the sightings, or this would be a terrible conclusion to the episode. Because the very next night, the UFO returned over Varginha, except this time, it crashed near the city limits. <sighs> Although, I have to say, I don't know why this is said as fact, because I can't find any eyewitnesses to the UFO crash part of this story. There's witnesses, named witnesses, to seeing the UFO, and named witnesses to what comes next, but none to the crash. But everybody just says, and it must have crashed because of what's coming next. So the story seems to just say, the UFO crashed on the outskirts of the city, then skips ahead to the next sighting in the middle of the afternoon on January 20th. So that's what I'm going to do. Okay, now we're at the middle of the afternoon, January 20th. According to media reports, and damn are there a lot of them, this story, it took off for a very good reason, which you'll find out in a second. But this story took off and it was redone everywhere. Wall Street Journal, again, that's weird. Wall Street Journal again in this same episode. Um, Wall Street Journal talked about it. I mean, it, it got almost international news coverage around the world. So again, according to media reports, a lone creature was first sighted by three women, eight, ranging from ages 14 to 22 years old. Two of the girls were sisters named Lillian and Valkyra Fatima Silva, and the third was their friend Katia Andred Xavier. These three women said that they were walking through the streets when they just happened upon a bizarre creature which they estimated to be about five foot tall. Now, this creature had a disproportionately large head and very thin body with V-shaped feet, brown skin, and large red eyes. The being was leaning against a wall, and it seemed to be very wobbly, very unsteady. The girls assumed it was injured or sick. They said it was very discombobulated. They didn't use that term, but I'm gonna. It was brown in color with big black veins and huge red eyes. They also said it seemed to have horns or protrusions coming out of its head, and it was also entirely covered in like an oil-like substance. And they all agreed. Definitely had rubbery limbs, and it most definitely had an incredibly terrible odor, an overpowering odor. Katia says... It wasn't a man or an animal. It was something different. Now, Katya said that in Portuguese, but I've had it translated. So the Silva sisters said that they fled and ran home to tell their mother that they had seen the devil. 
Now, obviously, the mom didn't believe them. So she went to the area where they had allegedly seen the creature. Now, she immediately smelled a strong, she called it ammonia-like odor, but the alien was gone. All the mother could see were footsteps from the creature and a dog sniffing the place where the girl said, yep, that's where we saw it, right against that wall. Now, again, the timeline jumps here. The news about the girl seeing the alien, it spreads like wildfire. Everybody in town was talking about it. The newspaper immediately picked it up. The news channel immediately picked it up. But the next time that the alien was sighted that I could find was two days later, and it was found dead or dying. There's very conflicting reports about that part of it. At the very least, dying along the side of the road nearby. And that's when the military gets involved. Before I get to the military, here's the girl's testimony. Now, don't worry, it's like two minutes long, so if you don't speak, I'm assuming Portuguese, maybe Spanish, just skip ahead two minutes. It's basically what I just told you, but I want listeners to hear it directly from the witnesses. So if you can understand Portuguese, it's not even two minutes long. You don't have to skip two minutes. Um, it's about a, less than a minute long, but I just want... Like I said, whenever I can have actual eyewitnesses... Jeez, shut up. I haven't pressed play yet. Whenever I have actual eyewitnesses, I definitely want to include it because it's very rare to have it. So she went on to say it had oil on its body. And that's, like, like I said, a very, very small sampling of the interview. I'll probably throw that interview actually up on the Facebook page. If you do speak Portuguese, you want to read it, you want to translate it all, fantastic. They do have the translation down below. I assume it's correct. But again, anytime they have actual eyewitnesses, I always want to throw that on there if I can. Okay, so when we left off, the military were now involved. The eyewitnesses say that the military trucks showed up in force and picked up the alien body. Some eyewitnesses in a nearby hospital said that the military trucks took the body there and that the alien was still alive when it arrived, but it died soon after. Now, a janitor at the hospital that had physical contact with the body died 20 days later, and when his family demanded an autopsy, they were given a redacted death certificate. Eh, take that part with a huge grain of salt because no, quote, expert on this case can produce a name, let alone a redacted death certificate. They always just say a janitor at the hospital had physical contact with the body, died 20 days later. His family demanded an autopsy, but were given a redacted death certificate. Dun, 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 that kind of shit. Why they would redact it and not just make up a cause of death doesn't make any sense to me. Why would they black out? Why would they write on his cause of death, touch this weird brown oily alien from a crashed UFO that no one actually saw crashed, and then 20 days later, boop, he's dead. Probably died of alien touching disease. Oh crap, I can't write that. Let me black all that out. 
No, that's stupid. That's just dumb. Like I said, take that part with a huge grain of salt. Anyhow, ufologist Roger Lear, who did investigate this story, thinks that there are two creatures. He says one had been injured, but both were taken to a local medical clinic. The doctors and nurses of the clinic described the creatures and reported unusual occurrences, some apparently paranormal in nature. That sounds cool, right? I want to hear more about that. Nope. I can't find out what these some apparently paranormal in nature occurrences that happened at the hospital with apparently two alien bodies actually were. Eh, thanks, Roger Lear. Alrighty, back to the military. Here is their official story. Captain Calza says new inductees to a sergeant's training school went on a parade and a truck convoy was driven to the repair shop. Concurrently, at the town hospital, trucks trucks delivered new cardiovascular equipment and an ambulance dropped off an exhumed corpse, a human body. That's all that happened in there. Now they go on to say that the, that the military definitely did not pick up a body and was merely carrying out a routine patrol. Then the official story added this, which I think is fantastic. They've also denied that the three women saw an extraterrestrial. Instead, they say that the three women had seen a homeless and mentally ill man who was a local man nicknamed Madinho, who only looked strange because he had coated himself in mud. Now, the military also states that the alien seen in the hospital was actually an expectant dwarf couple. Come on. That's just as weak as you saw swamp gas or you saw Venus or any other bullshit official military explanation. What they saw was a local man nicknamed Mudinho who only looked strange because he covered himself in mud. How come that dude's never been talked about before or since or never seen before or since? How come the girls didn't go, oh, Mudinho, stay away from that guy. That guy smells like pee and he's covered in mud. No. They said huge black veins, large red eyes, horns or protuberances at the top of his head, V-shaped feet, not a locally mentally ill man. That's dumb. Not as dumb as that the alien seen in the hospital was actually an expectant dwarf couple. And they said dwarf, not me. I know it's little people. That's dumb. Okay, so... The reports were first broadcast on the Sunday TV show Fantistico, Fantastico of Redi Globo. Redi Globo? Redi Globo. And gathered media coverage worldwide, like I was saying, including an article in the Wall Street Journal. So it was the Wall Street Journal. And um, I don't know what to think of this story. Again, a lot of eyewitnesses, a lot of very, very specific stuff. Now... Vargina kind of became like its own little Roswell because they built what is called the Nave Especial de Vargina, which is a 20 meter tall water tower with a disc shaped water reservoir at the top. It looks like a UFO for all intents and purposes. It was built in 2001. So they're still trying to cash in on this alien body that was discovered. Now, no one's ever seen the alien body since. The military denied it ever happened. But something happened. Those girls, and that's one another reason why I wanted you to hear their voices. Those girls were very specific that they saw something. 
and it definitely wasn't some weird-ass homeless guy. But here are just two, and there's a bunch more, but here are just two of the stories of UFOs, very specific location in Brazil. I'm sure you've already figured it out. I've talked about it in the past, but I really like going from place to place, not the specific, not the general UFO stories, but I want to find out these little ones that I hadn't really heard about. I'd heard about that magnesium part of the other one, but I had never, in Ubatuba, but I had never heard about the Varginha alien that was found and possibly died right there in their hospital, their little local hospital. It's a really interesting story. I love finding out stuff like this. I do have listeners in Brazil. So, listeners in Brazil, if you know anyone that had any connection at all to either one of these stories or another story, but I prefer these stories first, please get in touch with me. I'd love to find out more details. Since I don't read Portuguese or Spanish, it makes it really difficult for me to deep dive these with the newspaper articles and with all the other official stuff. I really have to rely on other people translating and hoping they get the translations right because I hate how translations usually mutate what they're really saying. They didn't really say UFO, they said something strange, but now it's now it's blown up to be a glowing ball of fire UFO. You know, it can get spun out of control so quickly in translations is what I'm saying. So if you know somebody from Brazil or you're listening in Brazil and you know somebody that was part of these stories, please, please email me at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Tell me your story. Tell me their story. Tell me more about these stories. This one, I'm relying on you, the fans, but I think they're fantastic. I really hope you like this episode because I love finding out about new stuff that isn't really well known like this one and educating myself, entertaining myself while I'm doing the research and while I'm telling you guys the stories. And I really hope that you guys dug this one as well. Alrighty, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Instead of, you're a nice, yes, you're a nice,